1: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Joined by United States Senator Ben Sass of the great state of Nebraska. Good morning, Senator. Welcome back to the Hugh Hewitt Show. Good
0: morning, Hugh. Thanks for the invite.
1: Tell me, uh, I know you were a big advocate of Judge Amy Coney Barrett for many years to join the Supreme Court. I know you pushed the president hard to put her on the short list and to then select her after uh, the death of Justice Ginsburg. Why are you such a backer of uh, Judge Barrett?
0: Well, obviously, Judge Barrett's a rock star. And uh, I've been pushing the president on this since late 2017. And I think after Saturday Night in the Rose Garden, all of America can see why. Uh, She's a brilliant jurist, and she's a kind, caring, and humble person. And obviously, character matters in a job like that. You can't get confused and think that you're supposed to be a super legislator dropped from the heavens. Uh, She knows what a judge's role is. So she's an incredibly special person. I'm glad America got to see her on Saturday night.
1: She was wonderful. Uh, She was, of course, wonderful during her hearings as well in which you participated in 2017. I should disclose I gave a different name to the president for a simple reason. I did not want to go through, I'm Catholic. I did not want to go through this anti-Catholic bigotry, Ben Sass. And it's begun. I think you saw Bill Maher. I'm sure you heard some of the commentary. The left really despises Roman Catholics.
0: Yeah, it is, it is a bizarre thing. Our Constitution could not be clearer. I mean, first of all, the whole structure of the thing is built around universal human dignity is why we limit government and the First Amendment as this big cluster of freedom, speech, press, assembly, protest, and religion as the first one because none of the five make any sense or hold together if you don't have all the others. And the Constitution explicitly says no religious tests. And we've seen Democrat. – I've been on the Judiciary Committee for three and a half years now. We've seen Democrats in each of the last four years attack uh, nominees because of their religion. Most of them have been Catholic. Um, and I led a charge on the Senate floor to rebuke uh, Macy Hirono and Kamala Harris for when they did this to a district judge nominee from Nebraska two years ago, they asked him if he would renounce his membership in the Knights of Columbus, which is just so laughable as it's not just depraved. It's dumb. Um, and we, we took it to the Senate floor and rebuked them, and they didn't even bother to come and defend it because it was indefensible. They just think they can get away with it in these hearings, and I'm, I'm afraid that you're right, Hugh, that America's going to see a lot of that nonsense the next three or four weeks.
1: Can I ask you to explain to people, you are a student of the history of religion and, and have your Ph.D. in American history. Why do we fear anti-religious bigotry so much what was on the minds of the framers when they put article six in there i've written a book about this too when mitt romney was nominated because anti-mormon bigotry bothers me but of course anti-catholic anti-jewish anti-atheist bigotry bothers me why did the framers put it in
0: Uh, Great question, because they, you know, like a lot of issues, they hadn't fully worked through all the implications, all the universal dignity stuff that we have uh, that clearly speaks to people being created in God's image, regardless of race, still didn't get cleaned up in the Constitution because slavery wasn't resolved. Um, And there was a cultural assumption that the only people who could probably really raise their hand and take their oath with integrity uh, when they they took the office were Protestant or deist, but Protestant culturally influenced people. And yet they were wrestling through this idea that if you really believe in universal dignity, if you really believe that our fundamental rights are pre-governmental, Our our freedom of conscience, our freedom of speech, our freedom of assembly, if all the stuff that really matters is pre-governmental, they were scared to death that government would run roughshod over these things. And so in a whole bunch of places, they worked that out, and they said, well, you obviously couldn't exclude someone based on religion when the point of this document is to say that government isn't God, heaven is never going to be brought about by power Heaven comes about uh, by love and uh, the building of voluntary community into the future. And so they didn't want to exclude anyone who had a creed that might differ because government can't reach into the, mola, into the mind and into the soul.
1: Uh, let's pick up on that. I have been telling people I never tell folks who is a good Catholic or a bad Catholic. That is beyond my ability to judge. And no one has a right. Joe Biden's a Catholic. Nancy Pelosi's a Catholic, and people want me on this show to say they're not good Catholics, and I won't say that because I wouldn't say about myself I'm a good Catholic. Nobody knows. But why does the left despise Catholics so particularly much, Senator?
0: I I would guess that a huge part of it, I mean, there's a lot of uh, institutional and cultural history here that are probably more important than intellectual, but I would say a big part of it is because Catholic communities and why there's a lot of anti-Semitism as well, Jewish communities have been thick enough that they built a lot of institutions. And what, what many on the left have been willing to say over the years is, you can have your kind of hokey-pokey beliefs in your, in your mind somewhere, as long as they have no implication in the public world, right? And so even the, the old Jeffersonian phrase about separation of church and state, what they've always wanted it to mean is the separation of religion and public life at all. And that's not what it means. The risk that the founders were guarding against in debates about church and state was partly about institutional influence in government, but more fundamentally about the government trying to overwhelm all of these private assemblies, not just private assemblies, but these assemblies that are in the non-state sphere. And so when you see so many Catholic institutions that are thick and formative in people's lives, In the Russovian side of the Enlightenment, that's scary as hell because the government, and especially people who believe in government as the primary institution, which America's main political traditions have never believed in, if you believe in government as the center of life, you're scared of these institutions that are formative and can help people believe things and build community and love one another without needing the state. And so I think institutions that are powerful scare leftists because they, I mean powerful in a textured human uh, formative way. They're scary because the state's, the left's full theory is that the state needs to be the center of everybody's consciousness and identity.
1: I, I think you're right. Now, I, I do believe Article 6 came out of a very particular experience with test clauses following the Protestant mm-hmm. Reformation in England, but that generally speaking, what you just articulated is what Roth that wrote in his book, Bad Religion, many years ago, and I'm a product of the Catholic culture of the 50s and 60s, which was all-encompassing, right? From Saturday Basketball League to the Knights of Columbus, To fish fries on Friday night, I can't tell you how many times I heard mackerel snapper back when it was acceptable to say that in the United States. And it is a deeply embedded hostility to Catholics that I just don't think a lot of the media is aware of. When Bill Maher, did you hear Bill Maher on Friday night? Senator, I've heard of, I've heard about it, but I haven't listened to it. Thankfully, it, it's disgusting. And, and let me play you something not that disgusting, but still rather shocking. This is my colleague from MSNBC, um, Nicole Wallace, on uh, Saturday, even as uh, Judge Barrett was introduced. Cut number seventeen.
0: Information came out about her time and her relationship with a Christian organization called People of Praise. Now, this is some of what we know about that group and some of what was scrutinized last time she was evaluated. Members of the group People of Praise swear a lifelong oath of loyalty called a covenant to one another and are assigned and are held accountable to a personal advisor called a head for men and a handmaid for women. The group teaches that husbands are the heads of their wives and should take authority over the family. Because of the rush that Donald Trump feels, Neil Contiel, because of the way this process is so condensed, these sorts of things become part of
1: our coverage, even on the day of a ceremony in the Rose Garden. Senator Sass, I do not believe that is a correct description of the group people have praised, but should they become part of our discussion on any day uh, of the confirmation process?
0: No, of course not. I mean, so first of all, People of Praise uh, has built a few schools, and they have prayer meetings, and they do a lot of, you know, more charismatic song than the the German Lutheran Deep in My Soul can can comfortably sway to. Uh, But it's just, it's a Bible study and prayer group. I mean, this stuff is so nonsense that the left grabs for. And by the way, this idea that taking an oath to a local religious community is weird shows just how out of touch people who live on cable TV news really are from the vast majority of America. Almost everywhere you go in the country, not just red states, but almost everywhere you would go in the country, people know neighbors who are part of religious communities, and they do these really weird things like get up on Saturday morning or Sunday morning when you'd rather just keep sleeping and go to church or synagogue uh, because you made a pledge to other people that you're going to show up. Like I have an oath of membership to grace Presbyterian Church on uh, 6th and Main Street in Fremont, Nebraska. And so we show up there every Sunday morning, and I took an oath. Like, that's just not weird. Only on politically addicted
1: cable news does that seem weird. You know what else is the, the tithing oath? I'm awfully glad I'm a Catholic because Catholics don't believe in tithing. But, you know, a lot of people, oh, you know, <laughs> they, they take pledges, right? They sign pledges. I right. have made pledges to my, my wife and I also attend a Presbyterian church. I guess I'm part of that too because that's a pledge, right? They're trying to make it ominous, Senator Sass. And in fact, right. your colleague, Dick Durbin, seized on a footnote and a term in an article by Judge Barrett. About Orthodox Catholic. They were using it as shorthand to suggest a Catholic who is fully committed to the doctrine of the teaching function of the Catholic Church. And she explained it. But then, having explained it, the senator said, Are you an Orthodox Catholic? And I thought an alarm would go off. You can't yeah. do that. Right. I mean, I, I, th- this is one of the most
0: troubling things about the Senate Judiciary Committee Democrats' uh, perspective. There are 10 of them, and I think, you know, eight of them are fully on board with this line of attack which just assumes that public officials and political officials sit on high judging the american people as opposed to having a limited term office to go and serve it is not your job to give any sort of doctrinal examination uh, to anybody dick durbin and you know one of the things that i thought judge barrett did so well saturday night was referencing two halves of who Antonin Scalia was. Yes, She talked about him as a textualist and an originalist, and she also talked about him as a person who was dang near best friends with Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, with no rancor. They could fight about ideas and then go break bread together. That's actually the American tradition, and Senate Judiciary Committee Democrats seem to not have enough community to
1: ever sit at a dinner table with people they disagree with. You keep talking about thick community, Senator, and we've talked about it before. What it means is that life is not all politics. Although Charles Krauthammer said politics is sovereign because ultimately it will decide how we live, it is not how we ought to mostly live our lives. I mean, I was with Browns fans yesterday. I was with Catholics yesterday. I was with different people yesterday. Sunday is a great day for community. Thick community is a concept we have to get back to the center of America. Tocqueville commented upon it as being the enduring sort of – uh, cross-beam of the American experiment.
0: Yes, and amen. I mean, when, when Tocqueville comes to America in the 1840s trying to make sense of who we are, and write back essentially travel reports to French and other Europeans who can't make sense of why these, in their view, religious zealots had come to the frontier, to the wilderness, and then also build all sorts of entrepreneurial ventures and and, you know, entrepreneurial economic life, he goes to D.C. and he's amazed that D.C. is a swamp that's barely inhabited and none of the people there are that interesting. He realizes you can't make sense of America from D.C. And so there were 25 states at the time, and I think Tocqueville traveled to about 18 of the 25. And he basically wrote home to France and he said, I found the meaning of America. It's the Knights of Columbus. It's It's the Rotary Club. It's the Little League. And this is what Senate Democrats are saying that Brian Bisher or Amy Barrett, um, need to resign from because you can't be a part of voluntary communities that are actually the center and beating heart of American life.
1: All right. Let me close with some practical things, Senator. Uh, Lindsey Graham is your chairman. He's a fine man. He's always welcome here. I hope he wins reelection easily. I think he's made a, a mistake in scheduling the hearings to begin on the 13th rather than the 6th, because I do believe the Democrats will put a torpedo in the water. Uh, did you disagree with Senator Graham on his timing or do you agree with him?
0: I, by and large, I agree. There are many different components to this in ways Democrats are going to try to skunk it all up. But I want the FBI to be able to do their full background investigation update, and that probably takes two full weeks. So basically, I think Lindsay made the right call, but I hear your dissenting point.
1: And do you believe there will be a vote before out of the committee in time for the Senate to move with all of the expected delaying measures to a final vote on confirmation before the election?
0: What's what's the old line? uh, All senators are equal and some are way, way more equal than others. Uh, That's that's a Mitch call on the timing. My guess is it's before Election Day, but I don't think the majority leader has finally decided or announced. And I think part of that is because he's got to figure out how to navigate all these delaying tactics. But my my gut is the Judiciary Committee votes about two weeks after the hearing starts and the Senate can vote
1: right after that. Do you know, I I believe that Senate Republicans who are up for reelection will get Badly hurt, maybe wiped out if this is not done by the election day because of the late start. Do you share if it had been an ambush, that would be one thing, like Kavanaugh. But if we, sta- if we start late and end up not voting because of this, I think the reprisal against uh, Republicans at the ballot box will be extraordinary, Senator.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, as one of eight in the hundred who's never run for anything before, I do not in any way believe I'm great at political calculus. I think my, my focus in this moment is on the opportunity for us to teach some civics about what a judge's job is, and I'm ecstatic that Judge Barrett has been picked. I think she's going to perform incredibly well before the committee, and my guess is we're going to get there to the vote in time that you don't have to have that worry, but I, I'm not great at the political calculus.
1: Let me follow as well. Will the Senate Judiciary Committee be able to take up a nominee to replace judge, then Justice Barrett, such as Kate Todd, who I believe was put on the short list in order to float her name because she's from Indiana and will make a great Seventh Circuit judge?
0: I also have uh, high views of her. I, I don't know. You're, you're the legal expert, as you know. I, I follow the Chuck Grassley tradition of being a non-lawyer on this committee. I, I don't know the technical rule on if the vacancy has to be um, truly in place as opposed to only anticipated before the White House can transmit nomination documents. So it wouldn't. I, it, my guess is Judge Barrett would have to have resigned from the Seventh Circuit before there's a vacancy, or is that not so?
1: No, so that is so. Although they could do the FBI background, they could prepare the committee. Sure. And I don't expect the vote to occur until the lame duck on Kate Todd. I'm just saying if you would be open to Kate Todd as the successor to Judge Barrett.
0: She, she is an impressive individual. I mean, uh, obviously, when I uh, nominate or uh, advise the president on his nominations. I tend to push first from Nebraska district court issues, eighth circuit court issues and SCOTUS issues. Uh, so seven circuit stuff is a place where I don't have a ton of juice, but I'm also a fan of hers.
1: Uh, well, the Judiciary Committee always has a ton of juice. Senator Ben Sass, good luck in the weeks ahead, keeping calm and keep reminding people about how faith is a plus, not a negative and how your colleagues can't bring it up. Please. Thank you, Senator. <laughs>
0: Amen, and good luck to you every day except October 24, friend.
1: Oh, well, you know, that's not really. I don't need your luck on that. I just hope the bleeding isn't too bad for Big Red. Thank you, Senator. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.